And we're back, fuckers. <laughs> I love a little look you shot me before you hit start recording. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just like, hmm. It's about to go down. <laughs> that's what I, uh, that's what I was getting at, you know. Yeah, and we're here. Shout out to Ray. He's always like, it's about to go down. We're it's about to go it. down. Or, He's got uh, that voice. Is like, all right. Yeah. Uh, or Time. the, uh, oh, what's the other? What's 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 he always says is um, um. It's another, it's another day or something like that. What does he say? It's, um, it's another day to get after it. Get after it, yeah. It's another day. Here we go. Here we go. Shout Let's out to Ray. Love Shout that guy. All righty then, Mr. Daniel Denzel. That's me. I'm Daniel Denzel. How's your week been, my friend? Talk to me. You know, early in the week, it's been it's been good. Um, work was a little frustrating today, but, you know, that's just neither here nor there. Just but, on my list, just so you know. No, you're good. Um I mean, overall, good week. We went to the Padre game last night, Braxton and I, and um, had a lot of fun. It was uh, the return of, you know, one of the star players for the team, Tatis, you know, coming back home for the first time. It's good to see him play. He went three for five at the plate, so had a good night didn't back. did he and, already, and he didn't do good? No, he did He did fine. I mean, the first series back, he was a little sluggish, but he's already batting over 300 again, so it's like... Is that, expe- is that good? That's good. So, like, in baseball, if you want to be, like, a serviceable starter and, like, play for a long time... Usually you want to bat anywhere from like 220 to like 260. That's like what you're kind of almost like expected to What's do. What's like the Hall of Fame? Like if you're a good player, you're hitting 280 plus. And then if you're okay. like, if you're a guy that can consistently hit, you know, 300 plus, that's really, really good. Like that's, that's like an elite level player that can hit that high. And then like, because most of your like really high level players, they hover right around 300 for the season. So they bat, you know, 30%. And then they'll hit... Anywhere from like twenty five to thirty five home runs, that's like your, okay. that's like your like high level high bar guys, and your role player guys. You want them batting two twenty and better, and then you want them hitting probably anywhere from role like playing guys. You said yeah, huh? your role kind of, players like your role kind of players. They, play? they uh, usually play like on the sexy field. Nurse or no, they play in the field. Oh. They use a glove and they catch it. Right? Oh, <laughs> like different roles in the field. Okay, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of confused. What's going on here? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. That's kind of like a very generic, very basic breakdown. Okay. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. But it's fun. It was, it was an electric atmosphere. Like when he got, when he got announced like as a starter, I mean, a huge pop. Like the crowd was super excited and like, they're not, they're not still holding grudge. Against no, him. no, I don't think anyone is anymore. I, I, I think it was silly to hold a grudge in the first place, but didn't he do something like bad or something? Not bad. I mean like, okay. So the full context is in the off season last year, he was in the Dominican where he's from riding a motorcycle and he like broke his wrist. So he missed the first part of the season because he broke his wrist, had to get surgery. Okay. And then in the, during his rehab, he took a performance enhancing drug, trying to speed up that recovery, trying to like, you know, expedite the process if you will. And so he got, he popped positive for PEDs. (laughs) They suspended him for 80 games. 80? Yeah. That's that's absurd. Why are there so many games? First of all, so he, to be so able he to missed, missed the back, missed the back part of the year, missed the first twenty games of the season, and then he came back and yeah. So that's well, it. So first like, of all, so like for me, like before I, before you go on your little rant, um, people always get so upset about it and they're like, oh, he juiced up, he juiced up. It's like he juiced in recovery. Like again, not right. I'm not not excusing the behavior, but it's not like he was middle of the season playing, crushing forty home runs and like juicing up then, right? Like. So, but why is it wrong, right? Like, I mean, even if it was, I mean, who cares? I mean, at the end of the day, look, I think. God, I guess I gotta be careful how I say this. <laughs> I I am a big proponent in doing everything that you can in a in a in a way that makes sense to optimize your ability to be a human. Yeah. Right. And so like, I mean, I mean that like, and again, I think that there's a lot of things in moderation. I'm actually like reading this book currently. Um, ironically that we're going to end up talking about books. This, this mm-hmm. podcast, but this book called um, drug use for grownups by Dr. Carl Hart. And I'm not very, I'm not enough into it yet to really talk about it, but it's again, the idea of like, you know, leveraging and utilizing drugs for their feelings or for um, their effects in a way that's supposed to be positive rather than, you know, the, the, the narrative of negative. Yeah. But um, with that, I mean, I'm not going to get too, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But at the end of the day, like, I think that there's so much out there in terms of um, whether that be supplements, whether that be nutrition, whether that be 
um, different types of pharmaceutical drugs or whatever it may be that can enhance a, a human's ability to perform an optimal level and like not only perform an optimal level, but like function optimally, right? Like again, like we take vitamins, we take minerals, we take all these different things in order to allow our body to perform at the highest level that it can in the given period. Right. And then we also, you know, we layer that in with exercise. We layer that in with, um, you know, whether that be like cold plunges or, or sauna or all these other things that you can do to, to get optimize your performance as a human being. I think that like, I have no problem with that as, as like yeah. at this point in my life, you know, and like at some point in my life, I, I will be at a point where I won't be producing testosterone optimally. And I, and I for sure will be taking testosterone replacement therapy. Yeah. And I think that like, again, for athletes that, you know, perform at such a high level, and the toll on their body, all these people that are sitting on their couch, eating potato chips, talking, you know, like throwing in their two cents about this person or, or a, an athlete rather in general being a cheater because they're utilizing performance enhancing drugs or they're, you know, leveraging stem cells or whatever it may be to, you know, enhance recovery or enhance performance. It's like, well, hold on. You also have to then take in consideration that like this person is doing something that's like let me take a step back. So for the people that don't understand, so whether or not we are running from a saber tooth tiger or I'm in the gym working out, lifting weights, or I'm running on the treadmill, my body does not decipher the difference between the stress. Yeah. Or if I'm sitting on my couch thinking about what I have, the problems that I have tomorrow, while I'm not physically stressing my body, I'm still in, like, I'm still physically stressing my body, right? Like I'm not putting it through a resistance, but the, at, on a hormonal level, you're releasing, you're releasing a very, the, the, the same yeah. things, right? And my body doesn't know the difference. So with that, now again, people, everyday people, again, whether or not you're sitting on your couch, you're stressed thinking about a big meeting you have tomorrow, you're at the gym, you know, crushing it, you're rolling in jujitsu, you're doing yoga, whatever it is, your body is stressed. It doesn't know the difference. So now going back to the point that I was going to make, right? So, you know, now these people that are essentially sitting in this situation or this place where they're giving their two cents about this professional athlete who's performing at the absolute highest level. Are you going to throw up mamas? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, the, the highest level, they're also now, you know, they're doing that as a full-time job. Yep. Monday through Friday. And then when you layer in their performance at a game or whatever, that's not just, again, them working out like every other average Joe out there performing or whatever it may be. Like now that's kicked up tenfold. Right, so the, the the impact on its body from going cool, where we're doing a full time job, meaning like we're working out, we're constantly hitting, we're constantly doing whatever it is to be able to perform at that level when we get to the game night, and then during game night, ten times the amount of stress is on our body as well, emotionally, physically, you know, all of those things. Well, your body is not going to recover well without the help of supplements, without the help of call them PEDs without the help of all these different things. Because yeah. again, so my, my only, my only knock on that. And I think, again, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's cheating because it's not allowed, yeah. right? The rules don't say it is, but if the rules were, Hey, like you can use PEDs, we're not going to test for it. Then it wouldn't be like a matter of like, Oh, you're cheating. Yeah. It would be like, Oh, you're just doing what is acceptable in the sport. Right. So like, it's funny because the argument, Oh, is it cheating? You know, you, you should get there without it, blah, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, like, all those people making that arguments never made it. Yeah. <laughs> right. They didn't get there. Well, I think I, I have, I have two, like I have two thoughts on it. One, like fundamentally, I don't agree with like steroid usage okay. in pro sports. And the main reason being is it at the health and health and safety of the players. Right. Okay. Like, and again, like you can say that, yes, you can use it healthy. You can use it in a way that's not super harmful to your body, yeah. whatever, whatever. Right. But if given access to it, how do we know the players regu regulate themselves to do that? You know what I mean? So that that's where I have like my, my hiccup is there. And then two, before you go to the next point, can I, yeah. can I just make a point on that? Sure. So my only, my, my, my only, well, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Like I think it, it, it'll actually like, and I think this relates to drug use in general, mm. but if all of a sudden it was legalized, right. Or like regulated sure. and they didn't have to do it in a sketchy basement or like, you know, and, and professional athletes yeah. are doing it in a doctor's office anyways, for the most yeah. part. But like if it was allowed and it was regulated, then there'd be less likely to overdo it or to say, cool, I need to push as much as I can in this point because I'm going to get tested in this time. Yeah. Like it would be much more regulated. It would be at a much more generous pace. Sure. That I think that like 
for the sake of the athletes, it'd actually probably be safer if yeah. it wasn't like I have to do this like in hiding. Sure. And like, but like that kind of leads by my second point is like health is the first part, but the second part is like, I do think that a lot of that, like, especially anabolic steroids, they augment your ability to such a high degree that it really, it really is an unnatural ability, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know you brought up like sauna, cold plunges and things like that. Like that doesn't enhance you past like a, a human ability, right? That doesn't, that doesn't put you that much higher in your production comparatively like a steroid right like if you look at the output and like my example would be look at natural bodybuilders okay and how they look versus a pro bodybuilder who's not natural sure it is a huge difference you're talking mm-hmm. about like you know a hundred pounds of muscle yeah like difference between those two guys so i think that that level of augmentation like i just i don't know if i agree with that like ethically speaking like from a competitive standpoint but before we get too deep on that conversation, we should make that its own fucking episode. But hold on. Because that can go deep. Hold but, on. No, we're going to rebuttal, no, no, no. but we should table this conversation for another yeah. one. Um, no, I mean, our listeners got to hang on. They want to stick around. They got to hang <laughs> on for your life. Okay. So I mean, my, my thing to the, the bodybuilding standpoint, I think that like, you know, I, we probably both agree in this situation, right? But you're right. I think there's two very different people, right? You take the natural bodybuilder and then you take the, you know, the, the person that's juiced up, whatever. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, there's a lot of diminishing returns in terms of functionality from using these performance enhancing drugs, right? Sure. So like in your sport specifically, right? If we're talking solely in the, in the usage of sports, bodybuilding, like the functionality of utilizing this performance enhancing drug is to increase muscular size, right? And right. to not necessarily be functional, right? Mm-hmm. So like, again, at the end of the day, like they may look strong, but what is the actual physical ability to move something through an entire range of motion? The, the functionality is probably not there, right? Sure. Um, now, if you look at like somebody who is utilizing a performance enhancing drug in football, in basketball, in baseball, right? Any of these sports, like you really can't tell. Right, if you're looking at these people physically, right, like if you stood for the most part, all the football player, or let's just say all baseball players, on on like on the third baseline, you lined up everybody. Mm, sure, it'd be very difficult unless you're like the guy from More Plates, More Dates, or whatever. Yeah, to be able to be like, oh, gear, no gear, gear, no gear, because again, these guys are just like phenomenally freak athletes, anyway. To begin right? with, yeah. Like the reason that they're there yeah. is because they were the cream of the crop. They were the yeah. best of the best. Yeah. Right, and so now. Again, my, my only my only thing to that is I, I think that if it was regulated, if there was a, a scenario or a place where these things can be done appropriately, um, I think that, again, we're not going to see to these levels that don't make sense for what it is they're being utilized for. Sure. Right? So, like, in baseball, it's about recovery. In baseball, it's about strength, right? But functionality, speed, agility, right? Like, again, at the end of the day, like, the strongest person in baseball isn't going to hit the ball the farthest, right? True. It's going to be the person that actually has the most most mobility in their hips, fastest bat speed, well, and their say, ability actually, to track the ball. Yeah, it's actually bat speed that leads to the greatest amount of home runs because how fast you can get that bat to the, the zone. Exactly, right? So, again, like, I, I do hear what you're saying, and, and again, I, I don't disagree with you, right? I think at the end of the day, like, people abuse everything. Of course. People abuse caffeine. Mm-hmm. People abuse food. People abuse, like, running. People abuse exercise. People abuse everything. And Chris if abuses ab- his meat. I do sometimes. <laughs> it's been a naughty, naughty boy. No, but, like, we have, like, as, it's humans just abuse things, right? Like, yeah. And if we didn't, if we weren't in a culture or it wasn't, like, a cultural norm that a lot of these things that happen abuse is because we've been told we can't yeah right so people are like okay i need to get as much in as i can because i know that i can't yeah but if, if things were not so like hey like for instance like people that like abuse exercise yeah they're like well i need to get more exercise so then either i can support another habit or because I need to be more fit because something else is telling me I need to be that way. Yeah. Right. Or somebody or society is telling me I need to do this or I can't do this. Right. If I'm abusing food, it's cause like, Hey, like I am abusing it. Not because like there's people are saying like, Hey, you should slow down or you shouldn't eat this or you shouldn't do that. Or like, Hey, like, so again, like a lot of the abuse is being told not, we can't do it. And then also again, because it's like sometimes the abuse is because we don't have normal access to it. Right. So if you think about people that do abuse food, like take a homeless person, right. That, doesn't know when the next meal is going to come. What are they going to fucking do? They're going to gorge. They're given an opportunity for an unlimited supply of food. Sure. And I, and again, we get, we will have another conversation about this, but my, my point being is that like, I think that we would like, we would live in a world or, or, or there would be like a, a situation where things would be less harmful to our health. If things were 
everything was like regulated in the sense of like how it was produced, but it was up to you, the individual, a grown up, an adult, to be able to make a decision on how you want to utilize these things, right? Sure. And I think that um, just keeping on the on the topic of you know PEDs in general, especially in the professional sports world, again, like we're talking the cream of the crop, like if if this is done the right way, if they had access to it, and the doctors were able to again utilize it and how these athletes function or or partake in this this um this drug or whatever in a way that was going to enhance their ability to perform but also enhance their ability to recover yeah right so then all of a sudden you're not going to get these athletes like you know some of these professional football players and things like that they're you know at the end of their life they're like they're they're no longer playing sports they're 40 years old and they can barely walk down the stairs yeah right like like that's because again we're, 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 we're expecting these athletes to perform at a much higher level than anybody else. And they're beating the fuck out of their body and sure. they're not giving them the opportunity and the tools and the fuel necessary to recover appropriately. Mm-hmm. Like again, you're not, our, our body wasn't designed to perform at that high of a level for that extended amount of time. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Right. Like again, we were, we were designed as human beings to have like that performance at a very high level for big, mm-hmm. like small spurts. Yeah. Run from a fucking saber tooth tiger, go catch food, like fight in a fucking combat war with swords. Like, but that was it. And then you're just like expected to have like two weeks of rest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so it's just, it's just one of those things where I, I think that I probably have a, maybe a little bit of a more unique standpoint on those things and like specifically PEDs, but everything in general. Right. And I think that like, again, I'm very excited to like finish this book because I think, and this will like lead us into like what we're going to talk yeah. about today. So this book that I am reading again called drug use for grownups is like the idea that like, Again, like we moderate, like we're like, think about like alcohol, for instance, right? Like alcohol was a drug that was once like during prohibition, you you couldn't get it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like people find a way to get it anyways. And what they were finding is that like this drug had so much, it had ethanol in it, had methanol in it. People were getting methanol poisoning. People were going blind and all these different things. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, cool. Like people are going to do this anyways. Why don't we just provide them a safe alternative and like a safe, it's the safest way possible to do this. And at the end of the day, like we, you know, we say that people at 18 years old can vote and make a decision like totally based on their lives. Right. We're going to, we can throw, you know, 17, 18 year olds in jail for the rest of their life on a decision that they made. So like, why can't we allow people to make grown up decisions on their own Yeah, and provide them the resources Mm-hmm. to help them make an even more educated decision instead of making this taboo that like you can't find anything that's like concrete on like what's going to happen. So honestly, you're just rolling the dice anyways. Yeah. Right. So again, I'm a big, I'm a big believer, firm believer in like moderation on almost everything is key. Um, and that, like, I think that like anything in moderation can have a potential positive impact on you as a human being. Mm-hmm. As long as again, your intention from whatever it is that you're doing starts and is rooted in the right place sure that was like a 10 minute rant i hope you know that you went, you went on a like a, a solid 10 minutes i made two points for about 30 seconds and then you just fucking went Sorry, i got really, <laughs> got really worked up there all right ladies super and worked up we're back fuckers like that was a button oh um, like, jesus <laughs> well i mean i had a lot to say on that because like i actually have well, that's why i said we should have tabled it we should have tabled that for a whole other it. conversation we still, we still got more i know but like Dang man, that was a good one. Dude. Are we fighting now? A little are bit. We, are we arguing? Do you want to <laughs> yeah. do, do we do we change the subject and then just dive into it? What do we do here? Well, I would say no because I'm not I'm not as well brushed on the subject. I'd want to read more okay. before I before we had that conversation because I would have nothing to say. Okay, cool. Unless so, you want to monologue for the next like no, dude, half I, hour. I don't like hearing myself talk to be honest. Um, <laughs> but again, yeah, let's definitely like circle back on this. But the reason I it's like I have so much experience, like exposure to literature, exposure to personal experience, like a lot of these things that like. I can't speak on. So like, sure. I think, like that's really why I'm able to like fucking like get after it. But um, yeah, on today's episode, we're going to talk about our top five <laughs> books. Um, for those of you that hung on and got to 19 minutes into this episode, um, <laughs> today's uh, focus, we're going to, we, we decided we're going to talk about our top five books. Um, yeah. wanted, wanted to talk a little bit about how we decided or what, how, what this is going to make up this list. Sure. Yeah. We, we kind of went back and forth for a little bit about, you know, should it be personal or like based on like, professional books that we've read in terms of like personal growth should it be just fun books that we've read and we kind of settle on the idea that it should just be our top five books to us in terms of whatever we kind of define that that area to be like when chris and i were talking about it before the episode kicked like i don't i don't necessarily enjoy the professional books that i've read. I've only read two of them but like the two i've read I don't read them for fun. I read them for the benefits and the gain of knowledge that I will get from them. 
So they're never going to end up really on my top five books because I, I like to read for entertainment. But I think you defined it a little differently in terms of the way you define your favorite books. So it allowed you to kind of jumble your list a little more of like an intermix of the, of the two. Yeah, I think um, for me, um, I didn't really pick up reading in general. I wasn't much of a reader, man. You asked me like high school, like middle school. like yeah. I mean, I would say even through like my entire college career, I fucking hated reading. Mm-hmm. I don't want to read. I always associated it with like work. Associated with like <laughs> homework or schoolwork yeah. or like, why am I doing this when I can just fucking watch a movie? Right? Like, and I, and I fucking love movies. I love being entertained. I can sit in front of a TV screen, like a movie, a show, whatever, and just sit there. And maybe that's my toxic trait. I don't know. But, um, so like when I was younger, especially, man, like, and then like, you know, the growing up, did you ever have like those uh, star reading tests or whatever? Yeah, the star, could, the star reading tests. I could just watch the movie and crush those tests. So I still get all the points. I still pass the grade. I never had to read a book. So yeah. like, it was just even like, again, like it was just like a fucking like, constant like i don't like to read so yeah well i mean to that to that point real quick before you very yeah, dive in on that like the that's one of the things that like i don't like about the education system is that we tie reading too much to a standard like and i understand that we need to be able to like test the kids to make sure they're actually absorbing the information that they're getting however comma <laughs> like, oh, well you know like literature should be fun books should be fun I think I was very like blessed in the opportunity that like a lot of my English teachers over my high school and middle school life, like they had us read books for the curriculum, but also had us read. They also had us read a book just for fun. And they like, they'd have us have a, a book checked out from the library. That was like something just reading just because you want to. So there's a unique system, but like, I think that that fostered a lot of like love for reading and like my classmates and myself. Okay. But anyways, no, I think that's a good point. And I think that like, you know, I, can't say i can't have any knocks on my teachers right because i can't say that they weren't the same way growing up i just sure. like didn't want anything to do with reading yeah. i would rather be outside throwing rocks at fucking soda cans <laughs> in the desert trying to catch those i don't know i just fucking doing stupid stuff as a, as a dumb kid um but i uh and even like again through in, into my adulthood it probably wasn't until like really the the pandemic that i would say cool like let me like i actually like had so much time I was in a, in a unique place in my professional career where I was like, okay, like here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to get to. How can I get there without the experience, right? Like how can I level myself up in a way that's going to allow me to go from where I'm at, be where I want to be without actually getting the experience to be where I want to be. Yeah. Right. How, how much would you say that those professional books that you read, like the personal growth books, like how, how much would you say that helped level up like your ability to perform at work and like be a leader and things like that? Uh, you want like a scale of one to 10 percentage? Like, yeah, give me scale one to 10, nine and a half. Really? Okay. Right? And then the reason I say that, right. And I, and I think that to be very clear, um, I think that like inherently growing up and like throughout my life, I, I was a relatively good leader or people looked to me to be a leader and whether or not that was just the way that I held myself, the confidence or how I performed, um, as people like, Oh, like this person knows what he's doing. But like, if you ask me, Hey, like, why do people follow you? Hey, like, why, like, why are like, why is it that you're, you always seem to be a leader of the groups or like, why yeah. are these things? I, I, I want to be able to answer that question. Yeah. I would be like, Oh, like, um, I don't know. I just, I guess I just kind of took the reins Yeah. or, Oh, like, because it's like in sports it was the position that I played or, or, but like, again, it was more than that, I think. And, um, like, so to answer your question, I think that when I say nine and a half, it's cause like, I think when I now knowing what I know about like leadership or, um, you know, performance or whatever it may be, like there are all of like the most successful leaders, performers or whatever have a very unique set of characteristics, um, and things that they do on a regular basis that allow them to perform or to be a leader at that level. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that, like, again, like there are those things that are definable and I can be like, okay, cool. Like, it's just not like either you are, or you aren't, you're good or you're not. Um, that helped me. Then that gave me a lot of motivation early on. Cause again, like I was in this weird, like crossroad in my career. Um, I was still, you know, managing a gym, but like I wanted to, to do more, and then I thought about maybe going into the military and then again, the pandemic hit and I was like in this weird crossroad and I was like, well, I got so much time. I can't make a decision one way or another. Nothing's going to change. There's no job to go out and find. Right. I'm much sure that I was able to have a job. I didn't have to worry about doing anything else. And I was able to, okay, cool. Like, let me read. Um, I was very lucky that I had a colleague. Um, his name was Joe. 
he was a very avid reader. Um, I would say, and he, he was one of those people that would like knew what to say, knew how to speak. Like he knew all the, all the things and he was able to identify all the characteristics, but then like putting them into practice, I think was where kind of like his disconnect was. Sure. Um, and that's what kind of, I think really, um, limited him from achieving and getting to where he wanted to get to within the organization at the time. Um, so, but like, again, he was, he, there was a lot of, like he recommended, what was the first book? I think he recommended the 20 irrefutable laws of leadership. Yeah. First, like first leadership book that I wrote and or wrote, read. <laughs> and what that did for me was completely opened, like gave me this perspective that I had never considered. Right. Like I thought leadership, like the best leaders, they were just good. Steve jobs. He was just good. You know, people liked him. He was very smart. He was very intelligent. He just knew, mm-hmm. but when this, and I think it's a, I think it's a Maxwell book. Um, the author for 21 year of people lost, he said, look, actually anybody could theoretically be a leader as long as that they practice the skills that it takes to be a leader. Right. And he identified them as 21 different unique characteristics and laws that allow you to be a good leader. And now the good news about that book and the good news about there being 21 laws is you don't, in order for you to be an, an incredible leader, you don't need to know all 21. Like yeah. that's not the point of the book, right? The point of the book is like, Hey, look, you're going to read through these laws. You're going to identify and be like, cool. Like I do this one automatically. Yeah. Oh, this one's easy. Oh, like I didn't even know that I do this, but now like I, I knew that I did this thing, but I didn't know how to define it. And it's actually this. Yeah. And then there's going to be like a handful of them that you're like, Oh, like I really like that. I'm going to work yeah. that in. And then there's going to be a handful of them. They're like, Hey, like this doesn't just relate to me, mm-hmm. me as a human being, me as a person, like my personality or in the, in the line of work that I do. Yeah. But what you're able to identify is like, cool. So like that app, like there's 21 things that you can practice and actively work on to be able to be a better leader. And so that really opened my eyes. And when I read that book, then I was like, fuck, I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. And then that's kind of how I navigated, um, again in 2020 when I actually started like enjoying reading, like I would go sit on the patio yeah, and just like start reading a book and like, cause I had the time, you know? And I think that like, even now, like fast forward to now, it's like, I enjoy that reading, but I don't have as much time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so like finding that like little bits of time, like whether that be before bed or if I wake up early on the weekend, like sitting on the patio, like these things, and even if it's like 20 minutes to 45 minutes, right? Um, I think that's like, again, like now that I had that opportunity during COVID, that I think that was, you know, again, one of those very um, positive things that like I had the very unique opportunity. I would say not everybody had that opportunity, but a very unique opportunity to find that passion that love that desire yeah reading absolutely no i think you said a couple key things in there like from what it sounds like it sounds like reading those books gave you definable parameters and terms to apply to leadership skills that you were either a trying to grow or b you knew you already had or c you didn't know you needed to work on yeah is what it sounds like at least and it sounds like with those parameters it gave you actual building blocks and steps to grow yeah which i think is really important i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't take the time to define the areas that need to be improved for something to be better, whether it's leadership, whether it's personal growth, whether it's weightlifting or sports or whatever the case may be, you have to define your terms, define your parameters and then build upon them. Mm -hmm. And I think too, like it's also important to to know, right. That there is parameters, right. Cause I think sometimes it's the common misconception is that, Oh, again, like I, and I fell in this trap is like, Oh, there's this like, people that are good at those things. Yeah. Oh, this person's just a naturally good leader. If you're a good leader, you're just naturally a good leader. That's not true, right? Like, again, like there's like, again, there's, there's definable behaviors, characteristics that you can progress in that you can actively work on. And like there's strategies to help you do so. And again, I think that's like anything, like you said that, Hey, like if like, and again, I guess like the, the put a bow on this, po- this portion here is that like, again, I was here. I knew that I wanted to achieve this. Mm hmm. And a lot of times if you're like, Hey, I'm starting here, but there's this goal that I want to achieve, or this is next step in my career that I want to take. And like you start talking to like wherever you're at worth work or professional, whatever, like, Hey, like, here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to be. And like, Oh, you just need the experience to get there. Or if they're like, Hey, like I'm here, there's an open position that's here. I want to apply for it. Oh, you don't have the skills yet. Oh, like you just don't have the experience yet. Oh, or like, you're just not there yet. Okay. Well, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. What do you mean? I'm not just there yet. Right. How do I get there? Like, how can we define How do I get the experience? Right. Like, yeah. How do you tell me that I like how, how do I need to go off somewhere else and get the experience or do I get the experience in the role? Yeah, no, I think you make a good point, right? Like, do I build into it from where I'm at? Do I go somewhere else? 
And then I also think it's also a good peek behind the curtain when you're looking at jobs. If they can't feasibly define for you the steps that need to be taken for you to reach that level. Yeah. Right. Like there's like, Oh, you don't have enough experience. Okay. What would you like me to experience to be ready for this role? Well, you just need more experience. That's a red flag. Like yeah. that, that is a red flag in and of itself when you're interviewing for a job. Cause it's like, if you can't define for me, the terms to get to this position, that means it's very subjective. That means they just don't know. Either they don't know or it's very subjective and yeah. it could be both. And that's even worse. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I agree with you on that, but that's, that's awesome. I think that it's good that COVID turned into something that allowed you to develop a love for reading. Cause obviously being an English major, I think reading and storytelling is, is awesome. Whether, no matter what medium it takes place in. Yeah. So yeah. Very long winded answer. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you're, been, you're full of thoughts today. It's cool. You've been reading every, every, ever, all the time. Uh, I mean, the last couple of years, no, but like middle school, high school, I read a ton just because I found enjoyment in it. Yeah. And then college, I read obviously a bunch because English major. So I'd fucking, you know, everything I did was revolved around reading short stories, poems, or whatever. So I was always constantly in a book or a story. Um, and that kind of burned me out for a little bit after college. Like, I stopped reading for a bit there because I was just like, I don't want to fucking look at a book. Yeah. I just spent four years looking at books. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Sure. And so it wasn't until like maybe eight months ago where I actually like picked up a book again for the first time. I started reading it and like, um, finished that one onto a new one. New one's like whatever, but you know, here we are. I'm on the next episode. I'm on the next. Another one. Another one. Major another one. All right. Number five for Daniel. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm kicking off. I'm sorry. You're kicking off. I oh. guess I can kick oh, off. I have, I have two. I have two. Um, two. Uh, two answers. No, what's the word I'm looking for here? Honorable mentions. That's. Oh, one. okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, number seven. Never split the difference by Chris Voss. Okay. Um, really, really cool book. I actually read that one again during COVID, um, for both leadership but also negotiation. It's really talks about the art of negotiation. He was the lead um, negotiator for the terrorist division, in the FBI. Jeez. Um. And nice. so, yeah, he also has a master class, which is really great. So, like, I did his master class first, and that's what, like, got me exposure to him. And then I got read his book. Um, but it really gives you, like, some some cool, tangible things about, like, how do I negotiate in a way where I'm never, like, I'm never giving up really what it is that, like, I deserve. Okay. Situation, right? Like, so, you know, he goes into, like, different examples. But, like, one easy example is, like, cool, like, you're negotiating, like, a salary raise. And, you know, instead of just going in and being like, Hey, like, I think I need a, I need, I deserve a salary. Here's why X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, how do you, again, from at the end of the day, it's a negotiation. They're a business by you asking for more salary, you're costing the business more money. So you sure you can give them some of the value ads that you have, but how do you monetize those value ads? Right. Yeah. And then also like, how do you show them and present it in a way that like is going to give them more of what they want as well? Yeah. So you're never splitting your difference and like you go in and like, again, like he talks about like when you ask for a raise, don't ask for like a 5% raise, right? You ask for like, Hey, I'm making 70 K this year. I'm making 70 K a year. Honestly, after really looking at where I'm, what I've been able to hear the reasons, what is what I've been able to do and perform where I'm looking at in terms of like looking to move and live with the increases in this, this, and this, like I need to be making $81,334 and 13 cents. Like an exact number. An like, exact number. Yeah. Not like 84,000. Cause yeah. then they're just like, yeah, like they're just, they're just throwing a number, but like it gives you this, like this illusion of like, this is what I did for you. Well, I think it also, if you come with an exact number that that sounds a lot more educated. Yeah. Right. Like if, if I come to you and say, like you said, I need 84,000, but if I say $84,322 yeah. and 10 cents, like that's, that's a very exact number. And it's like, well, like, why do you oh. need that? It's like, oh shit. Like, okay. Yeah. You actually came prepared to this conversation. You didn't just come to me as your boss and go, I want more money. You actually yeah. had a reason to come talk to me. Yep. So I think that, that it's important. It's a good, it's a good ground setter. Yeah. And so like, you know, he gives a lot of examples of like these different situations and scenarios where he actually negotiated with some terrorists and like bank heists or like terrorist negotiation with hostages. This is wild. Yeah. Really good book. Okay. Um, and then my second honorable mention is the terminalist by Jack Carr. Mm-hmm. Incredible book. Um, I listened to it. Um, but it was like, they actually just released a show on uh, Amazon mm-hmm. about it. But Isn't Chris Pratt the... Chris Pratt's the, the star, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool book. It gives you like this perspective. So Jack Carr was an ABC seal, um, and he writes fiction novels that are like closely related to like the, like what happens in the seals and in the military, but then 
also like uses kind of like these like weird real life examples but like so when you're in the military anytime you publish a book has to go through a certain screening through like the government to make sure like you're not giving out any uh, classified information so there's certain parts of the book and things like that that are actually um they're like oh redacted yeah redacted um but anyway so it gives you a cool perspective and then he dives into like some of like the uh the the shitty things that happen within the government and like all these like like weird con- like conspiracies and things like that. It's pretty cool. That's that dope. perspective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's really, really good. good story. Yeah. I think it's like from how you like your stories, you probably like that book. Okay. I mean, I mean, I've been meaning to read that one. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people tell me I'd probably like it. Um, to maybe for me. Yeah. The way it's written, I think yeah. you'd like it more than even just the story. All right. That's fair. Do you want me to start? I'll go ahead and go. Okay. So number five, uh, it was the first, it was one of the first books that I read that actually like really caught my attention. It's not the first one. That one's a little higher on the list, but um, The Giver. So I read that one when I was a either a freshman or sophomore in high school. I don't remember. I think it might have been freshman year, but I read The Giver. Um, and the reason the reason I really enjoyed it and the reason that I think it really captured my attention as a reader, it's a very conceptual book, right? There's not like explosions and gunfire or sword fights or magical dragons or anything like that, right? It's just uh, a world that is built different and exists differently than the one that we're in, right? And so it's it's a it's a good read. I don't want to give too much of it away because if I talk too much about it, I can. It's really easy to give that book away, and it's and it's turns and twists. Did you say give it give away? Give it away, yeah. So the giver. Ha-ha. <laughs> Ha-ha. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like, like the the synopsis of the book is that, like, in this society, one person is deemed as the giver, and they are they ironically receive all of the memories of everything that's happened in human history. And they're meant to carry the weight and burden of all the negative things that have happened. And society is in this like peaceful utopia. And so it's a great read. So like if you read it and like it, it's, a, it's a story about the, this kid who I can't remember his name, but he becomes the, he's becoming the new giver. He got assigned the job of being the new person to hold those memories. So he's training with the current one. And so it's a very, very cool story. Like peel, like he starts to see the peel back of the layers and like how society really is. And like, it's a great read. It's a great story. It really makes you think about what's happening and it makes you think about the progression of the story. Like, I love how it's written. I love it. It's a great book. It's just okay. a really good read. Cool. Love it, man. <laughs> All righty then. Number five. Now, this is where I, I lumped the two books together. Okay. Um, but Ready Player One and Ready Player Two. Okay. Um. I obviously have seen the movie Ready Player One, and then when I listened to the book, I was like, oh, like when I first started listening, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be like very similar to the movie. Um, I couldn't have been more wrong. I think that the cool thing about it is because of how good the movie was. It's like such a great story. It's like a fun movie. And then I was like, okay, the book's going to be also good. But the book was like, while the concepts were the same, right? Like none of the actual things that happened in the book were really the same. Like how they found the, how they found the different keys, like, all the different tasks, none of like all those things weren't the same. And yeah. so it was like, you were almost reading a different story. It was really great. And then I, when number two, number one ended and like, I was like, Oh, like how are they going to do number two? Like how are they going to do ready player two? I just don't, I don't get it. Like, where are they going to go from here? And they did a really cool job. Yeah. Like a really fucking cool story. So, um, hope they make the movie about that as well. But, um, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I mean, I've, it's, it's funny how like some books that become movies do it really well. And others do it terribly, mm-hmm. right? Like, The Giver actually has a movie, and the movie's not bad. And I saw the movie in theaters, actually, after I read the book, and it was um, a solid adaptation. Wasn't my favorite. Yeah. But it was okay, though. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I Ready Player One, the movie was great. I saw the movie, but from everything I've heard, the book is better, like, in terms of the story and, like, how it progresses and moves. So I like both. Yeah. I like both a lot. It's fair. Uh, number four. Number four for Daniel is Aragorn. So it's a fir- first yeah. book in a three-part series, uh, Eldest and Tempest are the other two. And um, although I like Eldest and Tempest, I have no problem with those books. I just, I love Aragorn. I think it just sets the stage really well for the, the rest of the rest of the story and does a good job with like putting you in a fantasy magic world, but changing the rules to make it unique. Right? Like, the fantasy genre has been around, you know, for a long time now. And one of the one of the worst things you can do in a fantasy novel is either do too much of what's already been done and not make that world feel breathable and real in your own words as an author. But 
um, it can get kind of boring, right? Like if I've already read other fantasy books and your book feels the exact same as these ones, like it doesn't entice me to read the story. I feel like this book did such a good job, like set having unique villains, you know, a unique relationship between the, the dragon and the humans. Like it, it was really cool. And like, I love the way they did everything in that story and in that book that made it feel very lifelike, made it feel very real and very tangible. So like it was a fun story to go on to. They made a movie about it too, right? Movie was absolutely dog shit. It was terrible. <laughs> it was so bad because like one one of the parts in the book is like the creation of these two like assassin like mud twig and stick creatures that get sent to go kill Aragorn. Because if in in that book, if the dragon rider dies, the dragon dies. Or if the dragon dies. The rider dies, so they're 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 linked. And so, what I couldn't stand is in the in the movies, them being created is like a thirty second scene. The next scene, they fight Aragorn and they lose, right there. And I'm like, this was a whole a whole middle section of the book. Like these guys were chasing him for a while, and they had like epic struggles. And I'm like, dude, like you just fucking jipped me out of all of this. <laughs> like I can't believe this. Yeah. Yeah, I was raging the whole time in that movie when I was watching. I was like, this is just fucking terrible. I just remember my mom read Aragorn. when, like, I just remember growing up and seeing her read that book. So It's a good book. It's a good read. You should read it. <laughs> I'm Chris. It wasn't my idea, so I'm not going to read it. Yeah. <laughs> so, number four? Yeah, number four. Is Rejection Proof. Uh, I don't know, remember who it's by. Um, I could look it up, but this book is really cool, actually. And the irony here is, like, I actually found this book through one of my prospects. He's a CEO of a market company. He posted it on his LinkedIn. I was like, "Oh, this book sounds really cool." And so, essentially, it's it can be used for like almost anything, right? Like, it could be used for sales. It could be used for um, trying something new, applying for a job, all these different things, right? And um, the idea of this book is this guy. He was like a very nervous, um, he was from, I think he's from China. He came, moved out here with his uncle. And then he was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Cause like he, somebody, I think it was like Warren Buffett or somebody came and spoke in China. Said, I'm going to move to the U S I'm going to become, uh, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. So when he was younger, he used to come up with all these ideas, draw all these things. And one of the things that he came up with when he was real young in like middle school or something was shoes with wheels on them. Oh, so he was like, showed his uncle and his uncle's like, that's the worst idea I've ever seen. And so he goes like, he, he, he put it away, never drew it back again. Three years later, Healy's was made. Oh my God. So <laughs> like he, from that point Damn. on, he was like, dude, like I'm never going to do ideas again. Like, like I don't like the feeling of being rejected. Yeah. Well, he, um, I forget what exactly kind of like like encourage him and motivate him to do this. But he's like, he went through this. He decided, you know what? I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of living scared. I'm going to go through a hundred days of rejection. Like meaning that I'm going to seek out rejection. So a hundred days in a row, a hundred days of rejection. And so day one was like, he was at like a, like a Krispy Kreme donut. He filmed it. Right. And he's like, Hey, or no, no. Day one, he was leaving his office building and the security guard was like this bigger black guy. And he's like, I'm going to ask him for a hundred bucks. Yeah. So he went up to the guy and he's like, Hey, can I have a hundred dollars? And the guy was like, no, he's like, okay, great. Bye. See ya. And just left. Cause he was like nervous. He was so uncomfortable with that question. And the more he thought about it, he's like, well, like why? Like he, I didn't ask him like why he wouldn't give me the money. I didn't tell him why I needed it. I just was okay with that one answer. So then like, you know, one of the times he went to Krispy Kreme Donuts, he goes, hey, I want five donuts. It was during the Olympics time. I want them made in like the rings of the Olympics with all the colors. Can you do that? And the lady was like, I might be able to make this happen. And again, he did that expecting to be rejected and she yeah. was able to do it. So again, what he was finding is that he's going through all these different things and these some obnoxious things. Like one time he was like, he went up to a, a random house in the neighborhood and said, hey, can I film myself in like a full soccer gear? Hey, can I film myself in your backyard playing soccer? So like he's seeking rejection and ultimately what the goal is, is like saying, Hey, like to find that, like if you expose yourself to enough rejection, you find that first and foremost, that like rejection isn't scary. Um, it's not going to harm you long term, But a lot of times if you take the time to ask why and understand like why somebody's rejecting you, 
it's it's actually not even a real rejection and like you can actually say oh like i meant it because of this or here's why i'm doing it and yeah people are like oh okay like that's fine so really cool book and i think it's just a great reminder about a lot of things in life that like again like oftentimes like we assume what the outcome is going to be before we even like pursue an outcome yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's a cool read because like that was one of the biggest takeaways I had from working a sales job or having sales career background is that like I I got very, not numb, but I just didn't care anymore about rejection. You just, you mm-hmm. stop caring after a while because it's like, it's inevitable. It's part of the process. It's part of what's going to happen. Yeah. And like that carries over to life. Like you're going to be told no sometimes. That's okay. Whoa. Mike trying to get frisky oh. with you. <laughs> but like, it's okay. You know, it's okay yeah. to be rejected. It's okay to have someone say no. It's not going to kill you. Like, it's, it's just, it, it is what it is, you it know? Is so, what it is. What it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that, that's a really cool book. That's a good, no, I like that. What, what was it called? Rejection Proof. Rejection Proof. I might need to look in that one. Yeah. That's a good one. So, number three. Numero tres. Number three for me is The Outsiders. So, I read that one again in high oh, school. Oh, Outsiders. I read that this one. This is one of the few ones where the movie's actually good. So the movie's actually pretty solid compared to the book. Um, the movie, yeah. And this this was the first book I read that got me to really understand the importance of character development and how interpersonal relationships change over the course of a story. So like if you look at like, you know, Dally and you look at Soda Pop and you look at Pony Boy, you look at how all their relationships change over time, like the socias versus the greasers and like all that stuff, like how it all evolves throughout the story and how like pony boy goes from, you know, oh, I'm a greaser, I'm a greaser. And then he starts to change Like, Well, I don't under like, why do I have to be one or the other? Why can't I do both things? Or why can't I have interests in both? And like, you see the evolution of his character throughout the story. So like, that was the first book I read that I was like, it like light bulb for me that like character development is huge to a story and why it can make it so impactful. Like the story that happens and, and like the events that go through and like, it also has the classic line, you know, from the movie where he's, where he's, uh, I think either Dally or soda pops laying in the hospital bed and Johnny had just got stabbed and he's like, we do it for Johnny, man. We do it for Johnny. And like that, that scene is in my head forever. Cause it's so great. It was great in the book. It was great in the movie. And like, it's just an overall great read. If you want to learn about characterization and character development, like you can really like magnify it throughout the book. Do you know what's, you know, what's also does a good job with that. Huh? Game of Thrones. You should check it out. No, the, the least the show, man. I, I have a personal vendetta with George R. R. Martin. I don't like That's that. Man. Okay. <laughs> it's HBO, can't that can't stand it. him. Anyways, they do a great <laughs> job character development, but yeah, that's cool, man. I remember uh, growing up in high school, and I, I think I—I I don't know if I read. I mean, we read it, and we also watched the movie. I don't think I ever finished the book, but like, yeah, man, that was a really cool story. I remember we had to do like a cool paper on it, and just like, this like understanding both perspectives, right? Like of uh, the different the different gangs, and like, you know, how you ended up in each one. Like it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, number three, Green Lights. Okay, Matthew McConaughey. Oh, you know, you. I remember when you were reading this one, and you kept telling me to read, and I haven't done it yet. And I'm dude. a bad friend. I'm sorry. No, 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 dude. To do so, we're all on our own journey, my guy. <laughs> all right, um, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> we're all on our own journey, man. So this book is really cool. It's actually written in like an autobiography like type um, story, but it's also like in like this weird like it, it feels like a fiction book. Like you feel like you're being told a story. You feel like you're going on a journey, and he's talking about his life, and it was kind of quite wild, and like the things that he did growing up, and like how he got to where he is and um, just identifying that like, Hey, like shit happens to us in our life. And like, and it's going to happen always. Right. But like to look for the green lights, like the look for the things that like happened throughout that time. That's like, Oh, that's a green light. Right. That, Cause that's so funny. That that's number three for you right after rejection proof. Yep. In terms of like linearly speaking, cause like you get rejection proof. Like you're not afraid of rejection. You're not afraid of the red light. Yeah. And then you look for the green lights. Yeah, That's cool. man. And there's green lights all around us, man. So it's really cool. And like in that book, he's always like, you know, this, this, and this happened, but this happened. So green light, green light, green light. And like, like it's just like really, it's a really fun, fun, fun story. Um, and good. it's like really cool. That's good. And especially like if you listen to it, I know you don't like to listen to books, but he narrates it. And it's also like really great. It's not that I don't like to listen to books. That's not, that's not quite the case. It's just that I prefer to read them. Sure. I Only- guess that's what I meant. Yeah, like I, I, I'll listen to audiobooks, but like it, I'm, I would much rather sit down with like a hard. But it's also because like I like sitting down with the book, and I love getting like cozy on the couch and like, you know, reading to the pages. I don't know, just it's nostalgic. I like it. There you go. <laughs> green light, green light, number two. It's a green light. 
Numero dos. So this is, this was my number one book for a long, long time. It got dethroned oh, like five Somebody years ago. Dethroned. About five years ago. So, but th- this this book was the first book in eighth grade that really got me interested in reading at all. And like back then, I didn't understand why it got me excited about reading. But as I got older and started to understand the kind of storytelling that I liked and the kind of story progressions that I enjoyed, this book is the root of everything that I am when it comes to like storytelling or how okay. I like to receive stories and things like that. So it's call the wild by Jack uh, London. Phenomenal read. And the reason I, the reason I think I love this book so much is that there is hardly any dialogue whatsoever. I remember watching the movie and thinking like, this is the fucking worst movie I've ever oh seen. Oh my God. The movie sucks. <laughs> like, Cause like there's like nobody, like nobody was talking and they tried to like, how do you, Anyways, I'm sorry. It's, it's hard to capture the essence of what yes. that book went for in film format. Yeah. Right? Like, I think it makes for a great book. Terrible movie. But, like, and even in, like, the newest, newest, like, version they tried to put out there, the dog talks. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, like, mentally, like, in his head. But I'm just like, no. Like, that, that no. That's, that, you're ruining the entire part, like, point of the story. But anyways, the just, just, the, just the progression of everything, like, what Buck goes through and, like, the way it's narrated, the way the scenes are described, it's all just, it's really, really well done. It's very beautiful. And like, it's, it was just such a good read. It's the only book I've read more than once. I've never, I've I've never reread a book ever. I've only read books one time and then I don't don't go back and reread them. I guess that makes sense. Not any particular reason why I just don't, but like it was the only book I've read it four times because I just, I enjoy reading it that much. Like it just captures my attention so greatly. So yeah. Great, great, great book. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I remember it being a really good book. I don't remember the book, but specifically, I don't even remember the movie. I just remember like the movie not being good, and I do remember like having to read the book. I don't know if it was like in middle school or high school, but it was a good book. Yeah, and it's just so satisfying how it ends. I won't give it away because anyone hasn't read it. If hasn't read it, go read it. But like, just the the ending feels so final. Yeah, and feels so good. I just I love it. Okay, love it. All right. Well, here's uh, here's number two. Playboy magazine. <laughs> That's it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Daniel. Um, all the Harry Potter books. So all of them, just the series. Yeah, because so just got, the series. Yeah, because I because I read I read okay. them kind of all like back to back. Well, I listened to them all back to back to back to back in my adulthood. I never had read them before. I've still never read them. Yeah, man, I listened to them. Really incredible. Like I remember, like because like I used to drive so much for work. When I finally started listening to them. Like I would be like looking forward to getting off of work, <laughs> grabbing like some candy or something and like driving home. Cause it'd be like, I'd be yeah. like watching a movie and like hearing a story that I like heard for the first time. That's awesome. And like, I guess like what, what makes me even more excited about them is that like, there was just so much of the story that wasn't in the movies and I fucking loved the movies, but there's so much of the story that's just not in the movies. And like, now there's like talks that they're going to actually do a TV series. I hope they do. Cause like, like you said, I think with books that dense, I've seen the books are fucking yeah. huge. So it's like, you can't cover that in a movie. No man. And there's so many subplots that just like make everything else so much more important and impactful that like without them, like now knowing like the movies don't hit like as hard as the books did. And I also think the books are a lot darker than the movies I've heard portray. That. Right, so like once you get into books like three, four, like and on, the books are dark. Like they get like real dark, and it's like so. I hope that they do a better job, you know, with HBO and and, and takes really the Game of Thrones approach and like really dives into like again the I would say like the gothic aspect of the book and like how dark it is and like the emotional like draw and again not missing any of those subplots because again if you can do one series of book or one season of book and you're doing ten episodes. At an hour each, like it's gonna be good. Yeah, I so, agree. Yeah, man, it's Harry Potter. No, that's fair. I mean, I mean, not to be like you pick seven books for you know for one thing. I listened to them all together. They all were one book. But I'm just saying, like, I think it, it is all one overarching story, right? Yeah. It's just broken up into seven books. So I mean, I think that's a fair play. If you were gonna make me pick one, I would have picked the Half Blood Prince. Okay, that was your because yeah, it's so dark. Yeah, so dark. You learn so much, and like that's where like fucking like and you're like oh shit and everything just hits the fan you're like oh my god snape is this person dumbledore's dead like what what yeah. just happened yeah. it's wild <laughs> that's awesome no that's good i need to, i need to read those because i just i haven't gotten around to it but that's a series i want to read they're great um that and the hunger games i want to read both i want to read both of them because i haven't read either or i think i only read um, the first book of the hunger games yeah that's good yep Couldn't so Numero one, Ooh. the big honcho, the one that, <clears throat> that dethroned uh, Call of the Wild for me, and it's Neverwhere 
by Neil Gaiman. <coughs> so, so Neverwhere is the 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 premise of the book is Richard, the main character, lives a very just ordinary life, very whatever, has an office job, getting married soon, da 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 da. And one day, this girl Door appears in his apartment. Says, "Who the fuck are you?" And then adventure ensues. And so it's a, it's a really, really well told story in terms of description. So the way I like descriptions done in books is not like eight pages of details. Cause I feel like that slows the story down way too much. Like give me enough detail to give me an idea of what's happening and let my imagination fill the gaps because that's where you really get to make the book almost personal to you. And you can really interpret it how you kind of see it. And I think that that makes for a more enjoyable read personally. I know some people are flip flop to that, but it's how I like to read my read my books. Anyways, um, so the imagery is great. The way the scenes are described and like the things are described, like I, I enjoy it. It's a very very creative world. Like it's it's like um, kind of almost the randomness and wildness of like an Alice in Wonderland. Okay. However, more put together and dark. Interesting. All right. So it's it's really well done in that aspect. The Marquise, who is a side character in it. I think he's like my favorite side character ever. Like not side character, but like non non protagonist character. Yeah. Like the person, one of the people that helps the protagonist throughout the story. Probably one of my most favorite favorite favorites ever. He's just he's a really cool character, and like he has uh, Neil Gaiman wrote a book of short stories, and he has his own short story in there. That's so cool. I went and read that, and it was also phenomenal. So yeah. I, I loved it. And so if he, if he made his own book about the Marquise, I would be fucking in. So Neil Gaiman, if you're ha- if you happen to watch this episode, make that happen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and then, like, the villains in it, Mister Vandalay and Mister Croup, they are horrifying, daunting. Like they are just like they are like everything you want in a villain. Like they scare you. Like you, you in your own mind, you're like, there's no way I'd want to deal with these two ever. Like, like it's just they're they're that kind of like cunning, conniving, strong, powerful, like vicious, ruthless, and like it's just really well done from all sides. And then like the finish of the book doesn't leave you like feeling like 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 you don't feel like you didn't you got cheated at the end. Like yeah. the ending feels very good, and like the way the story wraps feels nice and tied off. Wrapped. <laughs> Love that. Okay, I'm gonna so, think of that one to read. It, it's it's phenomenal, dude. It's my favorite book ever. I, I I could not, I could not give it a good enough rating. They should it's make a just, movie about it's it. Amazing. Uh, if they did, I would fucking be over the moon happy. Drum roll, please. Number one. Oh, I like made everything red immediately. Yeah. It's like, Whoa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the Alchemist. Number one. Book. I knew you were gonna say The Alchemist. I saw that one coming. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's funny because before I went on this uh, reading extravaganza, I uh, one of Nick's brother's friends recommended this book for Nick, and Nick read it. And this was like our third year of college, our fourth year of college. And Nick read it. He's like, you need to read this book. I said, like, no, I'm not going to read this book. No fucking way. I don't read. When am I going to have time to read this book? He goes, just give it, give it 10 minutes. I said, okay, I'll give it fucking 10 minutes. And because of how it's written, and it's like written like very easy, like I was able to, like I got through... Oh, like 20 pages in 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, maybe like 10 to 15 pages in 20, 10, 20 minutes. Sure. And that 10 minutes turned into an hour and a half of me reading that book. Wow. Like I couldn't put it down. Yeah. I was just like fucking reading it. It was like midnight and I just was still reading this book. Yeah. And it is so well done. Like it's just, it's a fiction book, but like really kind of like almost like a, like written with like a, uh, a, a journey to self-fulfillment and self-acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very relatable just in regards to like, hey, like, again, the concept is there's a shepherd. He has sheep. He travels all across Spain, all these things. And he grew up um, in like a pretty wealthy family kind of type thing. But like he was supposed to be a, um, like a priest. He's like, I don't want to be a priest. I want to be a shepherd. Okay. And his parents are like, that's not right, but we'll help you. He's a shepherd. And so that was like, he's bringing a shepherd. He's on his way to go, um, go to one of these cities that he's been to before to re-see this girl that he thinks he's going to marry and fall in love with. And then as he's on his way, he has like this weird dream. And then eventually from that weird dream, his whole trajectory of life changed. And it's like really a lot about like, Hey, like 
reading the signs or the the omens as they uh, refer to them in the book is like you know reading the omens that the universe gives you and not trying to force what you think is supposed to happen and just let be what is supposed to be and you'll find that you'll be right where you need to be yeah and it, it's gonna and it, it, it's gonna it, it'll be the best adventure you've ever had yeah and it's just like such a it's such a like wholehearted fulfilling book when you read it and the way it ends is like just again like you said like it like ends you're like oh that makes sense yeah yeah that's one of my favorite things about storytelling is when a story finishes and wraps out and has a feeling of finality to it yeah like and my my favorite example of this and it's gonna sound silly but in the anime naruto it's such a long running episode 720 episodes and so Animes are known for their intros, right? Like, like the the little intro music before the actual episode starts, and like the minute to minute and a half of like you know whatever before they start, and the final intro for Naruto for the last twenty episodes that they they use, it it gives you that feeling of finality, and that is such a just like pure feeling when you're like reading a story like The Alchemist or Neverwhere or watching a show like that, and it hits you in like that emotional good place of like this story has come to its end here is its conclusion and it that's just it's such a unique feeling i don't know how to describe it yeah it's a weird place of like happiness bliss and peace that when a story finishes like that yeah love it yeah so yeah good choices very good choices so now you have 12 new books to read Go get them, tigers. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Hanging On For Dear Life. My name is Chris. I'm Daniel. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>